I'm going to speak to you today from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We live in a secular world, as we're quite painfully aware of. Secular world kind of presses in on us as Christians, probably um, more intensely than it has in the last couple hundred years. Maybe I'm being a little bit uh, presumptive there. But there were times in history when the secular world was probably possibly more oppressive than today, if you can imagine. And I hope that we're not headed into a time when we're going to see that unfold in front of us, but we very well might. But the point is that all of this points us to our need for God, our need for truth, our need for God's Word. How do we live a Christian life in the world that we live in today? The First Corinthians church had many of the same problems that the church has today. We look at the church, and there's a lot of people who will say, I don't want to be a part of that. Christians are total, total hypocrites. Christians are, they're not good people. Christians lie just as much as anyone else does. Christians are just as secular as anyone else is. And in many cases, they're absolutely right. That's a painful truth. But this is not new. This was going on even in the, in the Apostle Paul's day. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 1, Paul... So this is the introduction Paul gives to his letter to them. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Siothenus, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God Almighty, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your word that gives us life. We thank you, thank you for your word which transcends the animosity and the fear that we live in in the world today. We pray for peace, Lord. We pray that your spirit would be upon us and would give us guidance and direction and confidence in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'd just like to point out a couple of things about Paul's letter here. <clears throat> Sometimes, usually when Paul wrote a letter, it was to all of the churches, and they would pass the letter along. This letter was written just to the church in Corinth. This was specific to them. Paul's ordinary greeting was just simply grace and peace. But today, when he wrote this letter, he added in there, from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was reminding them about God's unmerited favor towards them. He was reminding them that God was giving them peace and grace, even though it was unmerited. Because Paul is going to say some pretty pointed things in his letter. And he wants to preempt all of that by reminding them that even though you're not what you need to be, God still loves you. God still provides grace and peace for you. God is still there through the Spirit of His Son. Paul then makes a reference to himself. <clears throat> he points out that he was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and they were called to be saints. They're not acting very saintly, are they? If you read through 1 Corinthians, 
they're not acting very saintly. There's all kinds of divisions. There's all kinds of talking going on. They're not really acting like much of uh, a, a saintly Christian at all. But Paul reminds them, you're called to be saints. Paul was pointing out, I'm called to be an apostle, and you are called to be saints. You today are called to be saints. I don't know if you've ever thought of that like that, but you are. What is a saint? A saint is someone who is set apart. When you become a Christian, you are setting yourself apart for God's work. You're setting yourself apart to be a saint. When we think of a saint, we think of someone who's like perfect and, you know, they're so much better than everybody else and never, never have a bad thought. They never do anything bad. They never, they never say anything that's bad. That's not what a saint is. A saint is someone who is set apart for God's work. And Paul had set himself apart. He was called to be an apostle and he set himself apart and we're also to set ourselves apart too. So this was an affirmation of his authority as an apostle and this was an affirmation of their position in Christ. Sometimes Paul's authority was questioned. There were some churches, for instance the church in Rome, and they were questioning his apostleship. So he was pointing out that, that he has authority here. Um, Paul was first revealed as an apostle through Ananias. He had the experience where he met the Lord, and then uh, Ananias gave him his sight back. And um, So Paul's mission then was to take the gospel. He was to take the gospel first to the Gentiles, and then the kings, and then the children of Israel. He was not tasked with building churches. He was not tasked, I mean, building buildings. He was not tasked with setting up programs. He was tasked with taking the gospel. And I think sometimes as a church, and by that I'm talking about people, okay? The church is the people. Sometimes I think we get misdirected. We think, oh, our job is to build buildings. It's to have programs. It's to have activities. It's to do this and that and the other thing. But really, we're tasked with taking the gospel. We have the same job that Paul had back then. There's nothing wrong with utilizing those things in order to facilitate taking the gospel, but we don't want to get our eyes off of what it is that we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to just be busy for God. We're supposed to be sharing We're supposed to be taking the gospel. So the purpose that Paul had was delivered through Ananias then. And uh, in verse 2, Paul tells his readers that the same God who called him to be an apostle called them to be different kind of people. They're to be set apart. They're supposed to be different. It's not comfortable to be different, is it? I don't like being different than other people. People look at you. You know, have you ever been somewhere and you walk into, you know, say like a, a restaurant or something and, and people look at you and you're, you're kind of like, you're wondering if you have something on you or if you smell bad, why are they looking at me? We don't like being different. We want to blend in. That's what fashion is all about. You know, if somebody walks in 
and they're dressed in 1970s fashion, they stand out, don't they? Because we're different today. <clears throat> Excuse me. We don't wear the lime green. We don't wear that shade of orange anymore. You know what I'm talking about. It stands out. We don't want to be different. As Christians, we don't necessarily want to be different either because we stand out in the world. But that's what we end up having to do. And if we are truly, um, if we're truly saints, if we're truly set aside, set apart for God, we're going to stand out. Not by what we dress, not by how we dress, not by how we have our hair or lack thereof, you know. It's in how we behave. How do we conduct ourselves through life? Are we conducting ourselves as Christians? Do people look at you and, you, and they say, that person must really have something because of the way they live, because of how they conduct themselves. Paul remembers when God called him to preach the gospel, and he remembers when God, God called many of the people that he was writing to when he called them to salvation. And Paul wanted these people in Corinth to be reminded that they're a part of God's overall purpose. We need that, don't we? Sometimes in our day-to-day life as Christians, we lose that connectivity. We, we, we forget that we're a part of something way bigger than ourselves. This thing called Christianity that does span the globe, the entire world. And we are connected to that. And God is doing something tremendous through us. He's doing something tremendous through everybody who is connected as Christians. And we can't, we can't necessarily see it. We have a glimpse. We have a glimpse. There's that verse that says we see through a glass darkly. It's like you're peering through a little dark window and you can kind of see what's happening there. We see what's happening, don't we? We see that we're approaching the time of the coming of the Lord, but we don't see how it all plays out necessarily. There's a lot of details that are missing. But Paul's reminding them, you're a part of a greater overall purpose. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also will confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul made several statements there of thanksgiving about what God had done. First, you're the object of God's love and grace. Verse 4, he says, the grace of God which was given to you. It's referring to God's unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. They didn't earn it. We didn't earn it. Have you done anything? Have you done anything in the past month? where you could say, oh, I earned God's favor right there. Think about it. Is there anything you've done where you could say, I earned it? I earned God's favor? You know, I like to, I like to joke about it. I like to say, and if you've heard me speak before, you've heard me say it, but I'll say, I, 
I don't have too much trouble coming to church. You know, from home, I'm coming. I, I live in Jerome, so I come a ways. I can usually get here without too much trouble. But going home, every crazy driver in Twin Falls comes out. Everyone. And they're in my way. At least that's how it seems. I can't do anything to earn God's favor. Why is that? Because, because I'm a man. Because I'm a human being. I still have that spirit that I was born with. Even though with prayer, the Holy Spirit will overpower what I am by nature. It's still there. It's still there and it will rear its ugly head at the most inopportune times. I assure you. We cannot earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do. You know, there's, there's, kind, of a, <clears throat> there's kind of a thought that uh, a lot of people have the idea that, well, if I do enough good things, you know, if I do enough good things, it'll balance the weight. You've seen the old-fashioned scale, you know, that's weighted. And, and it's kind of like, you know, I did something good, put a weight on, and then I went a week, I didn't do anything good for a week. I did some really bad things. So, I don't know, maybe take a weight off. But I did some more good things, so put some weight on. And if you get enough weight on the one side, you'll be saved. You'll make it to heaven. There's that idea. If I'm good enough. But the question is, how good is good enough? How do you know? It's kind of like when you were in school, you know? When you're in school and uh, a C is a good passing grade, right? I always felt like a C is a, it's a solid passing grade. If I get a B, great. That's awesome. If I get an A, I'm, I'm working way too hard. Might as well back off a little bit. But what's the cutoff? You know, what's the cutoff? A D is passing in school, but is a D good enough for God? Is a D going to open the door to heaven? Or do you have to have that good solid C? Maybe the cutoff is a B. Maybe you've got to have 80% to get into heaven. How do you know? How do you know when you've been good enough? And the reality is that you cannot be good enough. The reality is that we always have some kind of sin residing within us. You know, you look at older people, of which I am not, but you look at older people and you say, wow, they must have it figured out by now. They're doing pretty good. They got a life worth, life's worth of experience. They've, they've figured out the secret to being good. But if you talk to them, you'll find out they don't think they're good at all. In fact, they're probably just as wicked as they were when they were 20. They've just learned how to hide it better. So having life's experience doesn't help with that. You can say, well, I'm going to be really bad when I'm young and then I'm going to figure it out when I'm older. How do you even know you're going to get older? How do you know how much time you have left? Because we don't. We don't know how much time we have left. We need God's grace. We need God's unmerited favor. We don't have to earn that favor. God gives it freely. God gives it willingly. God wants to give it to us. God looks at us through blood-colored glasses. The blood of Jesus. 
He doesn't see the sin because Christ's blood covered it. Christ's blood covered up the sin. Thank God for that. That's unmerited favor. We don't have to earn it. All we really have to do is submit to the Lord. We need to let His Holy Spirit come in, give us guidance, and give us direction. And He'll direct us in the right way to go. Are we going to be perfect? Mm-mm. No. Forget about being perfect. Forget about that. Just try to be submitted. Just try to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Perfection is not there. It's not even in the, it's not even in the game. But we can, we can serve God through His unmerited favor. You know, a lot of times we have the idea that as, as a Christian, we have to kind of morph ourselves into whatever we see a Christian as, don't we? Um, you think about it, I don't ever see anybody walk through the doors of this building and, and they're really being a horrible person. They might be through the week. We don't know. I might be through the week. But when we come through the door, it's, it's like we morph. You know, you've seen, you've seen those pictures of people that are morphed, that are kind of twisted. They don't look natural. And that's what we do when we come through the doors of the church. We're like, I have to look like this. I have to talk like this. The Christianese thing, doesn't that just drive you nuts? Can we just be normal here? Let's just be normal human beings. Let's be ourselves. Let's let the Holy Spirit project through us, right? But we're normal human beings. We don't have to put on a. We don't have to put on a mask. We don't have to put on uh, something that covers us. We don't have to be morphed into our idea of what a Christian is, because we probably don't get it anyway. We just need to be submitted. Let the Holy Spirit work through us. And if we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit goes with us through the week. And then what? People look at us and they know we're a Christian because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit within us and it's giving us guidance. It's giving us guidance all the time. So our interactions with people are what a Christian should be. Uh, The business that we conduct through the week, it's honoring God. That's, That's all it simply is. We don't have to be morphed into somebody's idea of what a Christian is. There's nothing in our hearts or our life that's hidden from God. We can hide it all we want to. We can try to cover it up with different things so nobody else sees it, but God sees it, doesn't He? That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because when God sees something in our heart that's not a good thing, the Holy Spirit can work on it, can't it? We just need to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit in there. We have to, we have to submit that thing, whatever it is, that aspect of our life. You know, usually I, I, I believe, at least from my experience, the short time that I've been alive, um, the Holy Spirit will work on one part of my life for a while, and uh, that kind of seems like it gets a little better. And then, and I'm like, okay, we got this. We got this, right? Because that thing is getting better. 
then there will be something else that comes out. So you just get one aspect of your life in line, here's something else. But I believe God works on our lives like that until the day we die. I believe it goes on till the day we die. There's always something. There's always something. You know, sometimes we get down on ourselves and we say, wow, I'm really a horrible person. You know, I had, a, had an angry outburst and it was really ugly and I'm really embarrassed. That was really bad. It was not God honoring. And so we feel really bad about ourselves. But the reality is that God works on those things, doesn't he? If we can recognize them and submit them to God, he'll work on them. He'll work on them and he'll get that thing under control and then there will be something else. You know, we just need to be, we need to be glad. We need to be happy that God's working in us. You know, if you go through, if you go through the week, you never feel guilty about anything. Check where the Holy Spirit is. Because the Holy Spirit should be convicting you of something. We know it's there, right? We know there's something there. And if the Holy Spirit isn't convicting you of something, if you don't, if you don't hear that voice, if you don't feel that little nudge, check where you're at. Because you should be feeling something. Holy Spirit should give you guidance. You should feel something as a result of what you're going through. Jesus spoke really critically about a farmer who was really wealthy, but he didn't have anything towards God in Luke 12. You know, there's that theme of spiritual bankruptcy and spiritual wealth. Um, The people that Paul was writing to here in Corinth... They were not poor people. They weren't poor. They didn't live, you know, in hovels. They didn't eat meager food. They lived really well. They had great material wealth in Corinth. That was a society that was focused on making money and having fun. And while this was going on, there was a continual degradation of the quality of life. Self-worth diminishes. The, the, the difference between right and wrong diminishes. Pretty soon, there's no difference between right and wrong. Values are all distorted. Social pressures moving people towards evil behavior increases. So that's a description of first century Corinth. You might think that I'm describing the world we live in today, right? There's a focus on money a focus on fun. There's social pressure towards accepting things that are evil. Not just accepting them, applauding them. Celebrating them. That's the social pressure. And right now, there's just very little difference between right and wrong. It's all relative, isn't it? It's what you hear. You hear it's all relative. I don't think God's position on good and evil has changed. I think His position is the same. God's Word is the same. There are people who want to change that, even. But when Paul is writing about this, he's not making a comparison between what they were and what they should be. He was thinking about the kind of people that they were and the kind of people that they had been before Christ. 
That should be a tremendous encouragement to you. If you've been a Christian for very long, you should see a difference in your life. You should see a difference in how you see things. You should see a difference in how you approach issues and problems that you're dealing with. There should be an assurance, an assurance that you're moving in the right direction. You're not where you want to be. None of us are where we want to be, are we? I don't think so. I'm certainly not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I was last year. Thank God I'm not what I was 10 years ago. We want to see spiritual growth. And you should be able to see that in your own life. You should be able to look back, think back before you're a Christian, and you say, well, when I was in this situation before, this is how I would have responded. This is how I would have acted. But now, I'm different. I love that phrase. Paul uses it a lot in Romans. But now, because things have changed. We've changed. Maybe our friends have changed. Maybe we don't have the same friends we used to have. Because we can't be with them and be a Christian. We have to leave some things behind. Sometimes we have to leave people behind. That's hard. That's not an easy thing to leave your friends behind. But sometimes your friends are a bad influence on you. And it's not that someone's walking around saying, oh, you've got to leave that friend behind. They're a bad influence on you. No, it's that the Holy Spirit tells you, walk away. Walk away from them. Because they're affecting you in a poor way. You need to get some new friends. That's one reason we come together like this, you know, on Sunday morning or on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night. It's so that we can support each other. So that we have some fellowship together. We have new friends. We have people who all have the same values and who are walking in the same way. We have the same goals that they have. We need that. We need each other. Paul thanks God that that the Corinthians uh, in verse 7 come short in no gift. What he's talking about there is he says that God has given them every gift to help them with the work that they have to do. God has given them every gift. Paul doesn't say that they're even aware of their gifts. But he says that God has given them to you. It could be that you're not even aware of gifts that you have. You might say, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any spiritual gift. I, I can't see where I have anything special that I bring to, uh, to the congregation, to the group. You may not be aware of it until you need it. Because I believe that God has equipped all of us to respond to any situation that we come on. As long as we're willing to to step into that in a God-honoring way, He gives us those gifts. You know, when when you're in a situation where you're just aware... I need to respond to this like a Christian. Take a few seconds and pray right there. It doesn't have to be long. Sometimes people have the idea, oh, if I'm going to pray, it has to be long and eloquent, and I need to go on and on and on and, and pray for the whole world and pray for everybody in the world. No, it's just fine to ask God, help me in this situation. It's not selfish to do that. It's okay to pray for yourself. Because what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to be God-honoring. 
You're not trying to take the glory to yourself, are you? No, you're wanting to point to the Lord. You're wanting to point to Christ. And you want to reflect that in your behavior in what you're doing. It's always good to take a few moments in a situation. You know, especially if it's kind of a volatile situation. And it's like, wow, this could go either way. It could either go kind of well or it could go really badly. Just take a few seconds and pray. Ask God because He's given you the gifts you need. Even if you're a new Christian, even if you're a new Christian, God has given you everything that you need to honor and glorify Him through your life, through your daily life, through your relationships in those situations. God has given you everything. God has brought us spiritual riches. Paul wrote in verse 5, you were enriched in everything by Him. So God spoke really critically about this farmer who had all of these uh, material fortunes, but he didn't have anything towards God. You know, and, and there came a point where God said, your time is up. You have all this, all this material wealth. You're very rich, but your days are done. We don't want to get through life. We have no idea how long we'll live, do we? We might live long. We might not. What that means is we need to use the time that we have to enrich ourselves spiritually. It's not selfish to do that. It sounds selfish, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound selfish? I'm going to get all the spiritual riches I can. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? That's not bad. God wants us to do that. God wants us to gather every spiritual wealth, every little bit that we can. Because that's what we take with us when we leave this life. We're going to leave all of the, we're going to leave everything natural that we have here. I've spoken at many, many, many funerals over the years. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's not going. It just doesn't go. The only thing that anybody takes with them is what they have through Jesus Christ, what they have amassed in a spiritual way. We have, we have hope. We have hope through Christ. Verse 8 is a reference there to the second coming of Christ. Paul contrasts the problems that they're facing in the context of eternity. Look at life through eternity. His hope for them is that they will, quote, be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 8. And that gives as a basis of their hope, not their good works, but the fact that God is faithful. It's not what you're doing that's good but it's that God will provide. God is faithful. It would be nice if people could say, this person is faithful. Scott is faithful. I'm not sure I rise to that point because sometimes I'm faithful and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm there and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I respond in a God-honoring way to a situation, and sometimes I don't. But God is faithful. God is faithful. You know, there have been a few times when I've had the, 
opportunity, the privilege of speaking to people like I am today. And, and then I'll talk to somebody afterward and they'll say, oh, that thing you said. That thing you said was amazing. And I'll say, what did I say? And they'll tell me what I said. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Who said it? You know, I'm convinced that somewhere between my mouth and your ears, the Holy Spirit puts in there what you need to hear because God is faithful. God provides. It's not that we do whatever we do in our own strength. In fact, I believe that if we come as a Christian and we realize that what we have is spiritual poverty and we need the Lord, we need the Holy Spirit, that He provides way more than if we come in thinking, I'm all that. Because I'm not. I had a guy tell me one time, he says, oh, I have a, I have a photographic memory. I can remember everything. And I'm just thinking, wow, that must be nice, you know, if you're, if you're a pastor and you're speaking, and you've got a photographic memory and you can remember everything you've ever read, I have to depend on the Holy Spirit because I don't have a photographic memory. But that's not a bad thing, is it? I'd rather depend on the Holy Spirit than my memory any day. Because if I have the presence of the Holy Spirit within me, I can respond to any situation in a God-honoring way, can't I? And you can too. And if you feel like maybe you're lacking in the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord. Ask Him to provide you with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him if there's something in your life that is blocking the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help remove that. There may be some things you need to do yourself. But God will give you the strength. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the ability to do that. God will remove those things. Whatever it is that's standing in the way. Because God wants you to have that, doesn't He? It's not a bad thing to pray for that. Sometimes when we're praying, it's really easy. You know, it's easy to pray for somebody else. It's easy to pray for their healing. It's easy to pray for them to be removed from a situation that they're in. But I can't ask it for myself. What's wrong with that? We need to pray for ourselves too. The Bible says, gather, gather some elders from the church to pray for you. But He doesn't say, don't pray for yourself. You know, Praying in a situation, God, remove that whatever it is. Remove that desire to do this thing. Or to do that. Or respond in this way. Remove that from me. God will honor that. God will honor that because it honors God. God is faithful. It's easy to get bogged down in life. And... Life today seems to be, I don't know, just way more intense than it did a couple years ago. And we can get bogged down in our daily life. You know, we know that as Christians we're going to win. We have the book, right? We've read the last chapter. We know we're going to win. But between now and then, it's pretty messy in there, isn't it? We really need the Holy Spirit to get us through that.
And maybe, maybe some of us are, I don't know, this sounds really bad, but maybe some of us are blessed that we won't live through <laughs> a lot of what's coming. Um, but for many others of us, we will. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to get through that. The hope of a Christian is that God is active in our life. And there will come a day, there will come a day when the kingdom of God will have victory over all of the kingdoms of the world. And we will see that in one way or another. Verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? How is, how is it that you are divided when Christ is not divided? There's a problem here. Paul is pointing out that there's a problem there. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, of course not. So then why are you divided? You know, division is one of the most insidious things in a church today. And it, it just, it, I don't know where it comes from. It just comes up. It's part of our human nature. You know, there is that, uh, what do you call it, the telephone committee? Or now these days it's an email committee, right? Or a, or a message committee where people are talking. And what happens when that is going on? Divisions. There's divisions. Oh, did you hear this about somebody? Did you hear what they said? <gasps> I wonder what's going on. I saw this person and that person, and this is going around. That, that's all a part of the divisions. For, for this church in, in Corinth, it was that um, there were followers of Paul. So Paul established that Corinthian church. There were people who were there in that original church, and they saw themselves as being somehow superior because they were a part of that original church. And then there were people who were followers of Apollos. Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. Now, I don't know what Apollos looked like, but I can kind of imagine in my mind. You know, Apollos was probably tall. He probably had great hair. He had a big smile. He had this personality that was just coming out. Apollos was a great speaker. And so there were people who were attracted to that. Now, I have no idea what Apollos looked like. I'm just surmising there, but, but you, you can imagine, right? And so people were attracted to that. He was a great speaker. Paul, I imagine, you know, Paul was pretty beat up. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been beaten. He'd been... He'd gone through all kinds of things. You know, I can imagine that, that Paul probably had problems walking because of everything he'd been through. And somehow or other, I don't know why, I just, this is how I see Paul. I see, I see Paul as kind of not being very tall, probably bald, 
Just, you know, put him next to Apollos. There's no contest. Apollos would win, hands, hands down, every time. So there are people who were original, the original Corinth church, and then there were people who were followers of Apollos because of his, you know, his ability to speak and his appearance. Um, there were followers of Cephas, and then there were followers of Christ. And, and, and Paul is saying, aren't we, all, aren't we all followers of Christ? We're all followers of Christ. And you know, whether somebody can speak really well or not, whether they look really great or not, it doesn't matter. We're all followers of Christ. Whoever is standing in front of you, whatever their appearance is, they should be pointing to Christ. Shouldn't be pointing to themselves. Should all be pointing to Christ. We should be united behind Christ. Shouldn't we? We should all be united. And if whatever's going on, as far as divisions in the church goes, if it's not God-honoring, then it really should stop. It really needs to stop if it's not God-honoring. And anything that attacks the unity of us, anything that attacks the unity needs to stop. We need to take a moment. We need to take a moment and do a little reevaluation. You know, where am I at with God? There was a time when I was a hospice chaplain, and, and hospice is um, provided when somebody is close to death. So if they're like within six months of passing, they can receive hospice. And I was a hospice chaplain, so I would go to. People would go to their homes, go to the nursing home, whatever, and provide spiritual care for them. And I learned very quickly that the first time that I meet somebody, because I'm the kind of a person I want to develop a relationship with you before I ask hard questions, you know. I don't want to just be out of the gate, you know, between the eyes, kind of a hard question. But I learned very quickly, I may not have time for that. I may only see somebody once. And so the first words out of my mouth, well, not the first words, because I did greet them, but soon afterward was, how are you with God? Are you prepared to meet God today? That's kind of a tough question. You, you can get a variety of responses from that if you try it. Try it sometime. You know, you meet somebody for the first time. How are you with God? If you met God today, would you be okay with that? See what their response is. There's, there's a number of ways people can respond. But we need to do that for ourselves. Get up in the morning. How am I with God today? Is there something I need to take care of? We need to do a little self-examination just to be sure we're good. Because it does not matter. It does not matter what kind of a house you live in. It does not matter what kind of a car you drive or bicycle you ride or shoes you walk in. If you're good with God, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter. You might feel a lot of pressures from your job or pressures from your business and it consumes you. 
It consumes your every waking moment. It consumes your every thought. It does not matter. Because you may not live to see the end of the day. That's where we need to be as far as preparation for meeting God. Is if I met God in the next hour, would I be good? So I'm going to close in prayer. And um, if you feel like you need to take a moment for self-examination, I'd like for you to do that this time. And I'm going to be down here. I would be happy to pray with you if you'd like someone to pray with you. But if you feel like you need to dedicate yourself to the Lord or maybe rededicate yourself, this would be a good time to do that. And so I'm going to pray, and I invite you to pray along with me. And uh, in, in the few moments that we have here, just examine yourself. Say, where am I at with God? Do we have our hope set in God? Do we understand what His unmerited favor is for us? Is there something in our life that is standing in the way of the work that God wants to do? And, and if there is, ask the Lord to reveal it to us and to help us remove that. And He will. He'll be faithful. God will be faithful. So let's, let's pray right now. Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before You today knowing that we are flawed, that we're warped human beings, and we realize how far short we come of uh, being God-honoring that we want to be, of being the Christians that we want to be. Father, I just pray, Lord, we submit ourselves to You. We ask You to come into our life, come into our heart, take possession of us, remove anything within our heart that stands between us and You. Father, I just pray for Your blessing upon these people. I just pray that as we leave this place that Your Holy Spirit would have freedom and that we would know how it is to walk through the next week with Your presence with us every moment of every day and that we could live a God-honoring life. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.